Previously on Crossing Cultures, we touched on the start of Russia's war on Ukraine and our involvement as a church, helping refugees in their search for safety. At this point in our story, we have only mentioned our role in Ukraine as we helped support Phil and his family's journey to Europe shortly after February 24th, 2022. During this time, they helped minister to refugees crossing the border while also journeying into Ukraine to help bring supplies in and help get people out. Seeing what God was doing in Ukraine helped prepare us for what God was doing next in our story. Ukrainians began crossing the San Diego border shortly after the war began. Soon after, we were involved in helping them cross. And during this time, we experienced life-changing opportunities and we heard beautiful stories that will impact us forever. With that in mind, a lot of what we learned about how to treat our refugee friends came from a previous crisis that Phil, Joy, and their church family in Hungary were deeply involved in. It started with thousands of people on the streets. It has resulted in millions of people on the move. These Syrians survived a crossing many did not, and they're coming by the thousands. So how is Europe going to handle the crush of refugees arriving day after day? Five uh, uh, 0.6 million uh, refugees who had uh, uh, been forced to flee the country. I'm begging for a place to shelter my kids, says this man. The bombs didn't kill them, and I don't want them to die of the cold. The Syrian refugee crisis taught them what it means to be a local church with a global heart. For that reason, we felt our story could not be fully understood without looking back at what the church in Europe learned through the Syrian refugee crisis. Here is a conversation Phil had with his friends Laos and Arpad on this topic. I don't know if you guys know kind of what happened here in San Diego the last kind of six weeks, but Basically, we as Calvary San Diego, we became the book stadium for all Ukrainians, about 20,000 people. A local church is taking in Ukrainian refugee families who need help after escaping their country. So many Ukrainian families need help and guidance. The assistant pastor here tells me they've helped about 200 to 400 families per day. We fed, housed, processed, helped get plane tickets, everything. Not alone, but it became kind of our thing. And it just garnered, a, it got a lot of attention all around the U.S. in a good way. It was finally like something good, like people's view of the church was good. You know, it was like people were like, oh wow, the church is doing something that is useful, is kind of the mindset. We thought it would be good to use our own podcast to talk about what's been happening. and. Mm -hmm. um, but, but as we were, as our group was talking about it, we said, one of the things we want to do is backstory, because I've backstoried to our time in Hungary helping Syrians altogether as a big part of this story. Um, you know, you know, when somebody asked me the question, like, why did you get involved? You know, or like, how did you guys even know what to do? I have to reference the fact that we've already been a part of something like this. Mm -hmm. And so um, that's kind of why I wanted to do this conversation. So I'm going to ask you guys about Ukraine, about what you've been doing with Ukrainian refugees, and then take us back to, okay, how did the three of us get involved in this? Mm -hmm. let's, let's be honest, it was because of Syria. 
Hi, my name is Phil Metzger, and in 1992 I moved to Moscow, Russia. From there I lived in the beautiful Central European country of Hungary, where my family and I spent the next 20 years living, learning, and sharing about Jesus. Different foods, culture, and language, but underneath it all we discovered the most amazing people. We learned that to share the gospel effectively, we had to adjust. We had to cross cultures. Now we're back in the U.S. and we're discovering that this country is a melting pot of culture. This show is committed to helping Christians connect to those who think, believe, and live differently than them. This is Crossing Cultures. There's a reason why we all got involved in, in this crisis. I think most importantly, and you guys could speak to this if you want. Um, I mean, it's just a part of our like gospel outreach. Like we just feel like it's important that when people are hurting, we're supposed to jump in to help. Like we shouldn't just preach a message of God loves you. We sometimes we just have to jump in and show people that God loves them. Would you guys agree to that? Like that's kind of what brought you into this. That's, that's exactly it. Um, uh, we've, I mean, you alluded to that. We have had experiences previously too, together, how important it is, uh, to to help in situations like this um, when you see when you see need when you see suffering yeah so it was uh, uh, I think almost immediate for at least for me I don't want to speak for others but um, there was no question whether um, whether I'm going to meet the need um, that is in front of me and Laos you you got involved very quickly you've you've overseen a ministry of practical help and support for the Golgotha churches, the Calvary churches there in Hungary for a long time. That's been your really a major project that you've focused on. Um, what was this, what was this like, this, this experience? Sharing the gospel is about the life to save lives. <laughs> so it's our purpose. It's our calling this is uh, what the church is called for so i hate when everybody says that what should the government do what the eu should do what the uh, american president should do or not do and somehow sometimes i feel that we just have to go and help give food give some you know sometimes i think so good news means to say something good there is hope here we are we have empathy we feel together yes we definitely see your struggling and and situation and here we are and we just love you like Jesus loved you guys. I think sometimes, you know, we we tend to like, and I think, you know, the three of us have talked about things like this, like when people look at this crisis as an issue, it's easy to like, you know, think about the big picture, you know, Russia, Ukraine, this, that, or whatever, America, Hungary, Orban, you know, the, the prime minister of Hungary. But for the three of us, this was about the people, not an issue. It was about people who were at a moment of, I mean, intense crisis who we could reach. And I think that as long as like the church sees the issues, they never get involved. But when you start seeing the people, which 
Hungary saw people. I mean, there was more Ukrainians in Hungary than has ever been in, in Hungary in history. And it, it's hard to see an issue once you start seeing the people. Would you guys agree with that or any thoughts to that? Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. It, it, um, Hungary especially is very uh, divided on, on the, the issue of war, but uh, I've seen a tremendous response. Uh, um, people, uh, well, just to illustrate, maybe I was, I was talking to a, a fellow pastor here in Hungary who wasn't involved in, the, uh, in, in this effort and uh, probably 10 days after the war started, he, he, he asked me, it's like, so you mean like people are letting uh, strangers into their homes and, and letting them use the spare bedroom? And I, like, I, I said, yeah, the spare bedroom or the living room. Mm -hmm. And he was, he was dumbfounded because uh, um, actually the label of crazy came from him. Uh, and, and I was like, okay, well, if, if, I, if, it me if this means crazy, then I am crazy. Mm. Um, and, uh, and so are, you know, uh, several thousand of my countrymen. Um, so a lot of different things uh, were offered um, thanks to people seeing the people and not, not getting bogged down with, with uh, whether this is a, uh, a geopolitical conspiracy or, or, or something else, you know, whether this is about fuel or whether this is about uh, language or, or country or, uh, yeah, I would agree. Uh, people saw people and, and they responded. I'm curious, you know, I think, um, you know, part of the point of this episode is as a backstory to, you know, this is not our, we say in America, this is not our first rodeo. Maybe you've heard that phrase. This is not the first time that the three of us have been involved in a refugee crisis, which is a crazy thing to say as it is, that this is not the first time we've been a part of a refugee crisis it is a tragedy. It is, I mean, it's all of the above. It's just, it's insanity. But the three of us, we all got thrown into something that happened in 2014 in Hungary I mean, uh, the, the, you know, uh, on, on a level that we thought we would never see again, although we've seen it on a bigger scale with Ukrainians leaving their country, but it was the movement of Syrians out of their country into Europe and mainly Germany. If you guys remember, the whole thing started with the, uh, the leader of Germany, Angela Merkel saying, come to Germany. <laughs> You're welcome to come to Germany. But I, I always try to remind Americans, like that's as if Canadians said to Mexicans, come to Canada, that you still have to walk across another country. The wave of Syrian refugees was much larger than the Ukrainian refugee crisis. For several weeks, upwards of 18,000 Syrian refugees crossed the border into Hungary daily. To put this in perspective, we saw a little over 25,000 Ukrainian refugees in a five week period. This means Hungary saw more Syrians cross their borders in two days than San Diego saw Ukrainians cross in five weeks. From Syria to Germany are several countries. Um, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not bright enough to know it off the top of my head, but it's a lot of countries, right? Arpi, you probably know, is it five or six countries? Well, six or seven, depending on the route, yes. Six or seven countries you gotta walk through in order to get to Germany. And this created immense political pressures and struggles. 
Tonight, a top U.N. official is calling the humanitarian catastrophe unfolding in Syria, quote, cruel beyond belief. Families, many of them for years, living in tents and other makeshift structures, the result of a 10-year civil war that's torn their country apart. At least 6.2 million Syrians are internally displaced, while another 5.7 million have sought refuge abroad. 13 million people in Syria are believed to be in dire need of humanitarian aid. Half a million are currently in Jordan. 600,000 are in Lebanon, 400,000 are in Turkey, and roughly a quarter of a million are in Iraq and Egypt. They're pouring into Europe by sea and by a new land route from Turkey to Hungary, which has been overwhelmed by the arrival of so many. Growing list of governors here in the States saying Syrian refugees are not welcome here. More were pushing on Europe's eastern borders, and again the scenes were turning ugly. It was so hard when we were dying. These people are working professionals. They're like you and I. They're families, they're mothers, they're psychologists and engineers. In 2014, millions of Syrians fled their country due to civil war. Their government had began cracking down on the pro-democracy protests led by the people. Armed clashes began that led to the formation of the Free Syrian Army. As it usually occurs, the people were caught in the middle. By 2014-2015, Germany opened their doors to Syrian refugees. By the time it was all done, almost one million refugees had resettled across Europe. Traveling from Syria to Germany is not simple. It is an arduous and oftentimes dangerous journey across several countries. Hungary was not the final destination for Syrian refugees. Most of them traveled through the country on their way to Germany. This is where Phil and Joyce Church in Hungary had the choice to help or to be bystanders. Let's talk a little bit about that experience and because I think it very much influenced not only our willingness to get involved in helping Ukrainians, but even some of the skill sets that we learned then, or maybe we didn't do well then, that we learned for this time how to do better. I'm curious about that. So um, maybe, uh, maybe Arpi, you could start by framing kind of what happened. Mm. Um, well, we, I think that was the first time that we saw, um, well, for me at least, it was the first time that I saw a big a group of people just stranded um, in Hungary, uh, thousands and thousands on public squares and, and train stations. And, um, uh, because of, of, you know, different regulatory issues, whether, whether these people can go to Germany without proper paperwork or cannot. And, and, and all of a sudden, Hungary as a country, we found ourselves with, um, with uh, uh, tens of thousands of people who were, uh, who were in, in, in our public squares and, and uh, on our roads, sometimes just uh, groups of 20, 30 of them walking on the highway, so desperate uh, to to get out of the situation they were in that they were they 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 thought that they were going to do the next two thousand kilometers or miles uh, by walking uh, to Germany next to a highway. Um, uh, not to mention, I mean, and and that's when I realized that these people have to be so desperate. Um, if they are risking their lives uh, this to this extent, uh, their lives back in Syria have to be much worse than this, because people, many of these people are not setting off because they um, 
because um, they want a larger TV or a, or a better car or a, or a thicker necklace or or you know uh, uh, satellite television. Uh, they are choosing life because there is no life. And so, so for me, um, the first realization was uh, uh, that these people are desperate, mm. and uh, and those. That's one of the um, the things. The, one of the first things that I recalled uh, um, when the war in Ukraine started: how desperate people are to find shelter, to find a home, to find something that is comforting. Hmm. And Laosh, what, um, you know, at, at Golgotha Budapest, we kind of realized the problem because of the train station that was so close to us, you know. At, why don't you share a little bit about your experience on that, you know, I mean, what was that like, those initial moments of discovering the need to help Syrians as they're trying to get to, you know, Western Europe? Yeah, it was our first uh, shocking experience. I remember that more and more hundred people arrived to a railway station with a subway station together and more thousand and thousand. And we, we thought that we, we have to do something. And we uh, bought voters, small glass voters and we made some food and we, we went out to their station. Mm -hmm. And I have to share something that what I remember that it, it was a little bit, um, it was the first time in Hungary and the people had a lot of fear. Mm -hmm. And I remember the cliches uh, what they say that oh they are bearded men uh, like um, how to say soldierly men mm -hmm. like the soldiers and you know I I felt the fear and and I immediately realized no no fear is not for the Christians we have to act something and we discussed and what should we do we uh, bring them medicines for the bloody legs, uh, waters and food. And we started to talk. And that was the, as, as now I see that was um, uh, an interesting point when we started to talk and pray mm -hmm. together. You know? And you remember that we always talk that you are the soldierly young men. They are just refugees. We started to pray with them and they started to cry. You remember oh, yeah. these older rebellion men. And I learned for life that if we see them with the eye of Christ, then we see the truth, not this human surface crazy prejudges and fear-based projection. And they started to cry. You remember, but correct me if it's not true. I remember none of them refused the praying together. None of them. Everyone said, yes, pray. And they were Muslims. And they, we, we bring some small Bibles, do you remember? And, and they kissed the Christian Bibles and, and bring them. So it's, 
I learned so much about against the prejudices, <laughs> our judging soul, and and the reality is what we learn to Christ, not we see in a moment. It's so well, that's so powerful, Laos. That got me teary-eyed because I just remembering those moments, remembering meeting people, and and I remember like. You know, it's probably true for your wives too. I know Joy was like afraid to go down there at first. Then she went down there and she's like, these are my new best friends. These are, <laughs> these are, they're human beings. They're, they, these women have been holding their babies for six weeks long. They, they just want somebody to help. And I mean, yeah, it was, it was mind boggling the adjustment that had to happen in us. And I think, Laosh, you said something there. And I think, you know, RP, we've talked a lot about this. And it's something that our team here in Calvary San Diego has been talking a lot about through Ukrainian ministry was this was a great privilege that we all got to have. It's not just that we were like good people helping poor people or sad people. We really benefited like we learned about God's love, like you just described. We began to see people in a way that only God sees them. And that only happened because he showed us about an opportunity. And I think that always gets lost on people. We want to make heroes out of, oh, it's so good what you did. But anybody that's ever done something good probably would say this thing. We, I won from this just as much as anything we offered. Uh, I know, RP, we've talked a lot about that. You have any thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, you know, I wish I could quote the Bible on this, but I'm just going to quote a Hungarian proverbs, uh, proverb, uh, which basically says, you know, a pig kill is not a must. Um, uh, meaning, you know, you can participate in it, and it's a great thing if you have ever been to a Hungarian pig kill. I don't go anymore because I'm vegan, but um, uh, but it's, it's a great privilege to be part of a, a it, it is a family affair. It is a, it is a, it is a source of, of, of great fellowship and blessing. And that's, that's what keeps coming back to me. You know, um, it is, uh, it is a privilege to be part of this effort because I feel like I'm getting more than, than I'm giving that, uh, uh I'm experiencing, uh, uh, things that I haven't before. I am uh, filled with joy. Um, I'm also sometimes filled with fear and, uh, and the impossibility of, of making sense of a certain situation. But uh, experience uh, tells me, and, and I've come to a point where, where um, I welcome these nowadays, uh, because I know that with the greatest uh, challenges come the greatest blessings. Yeah. And, uh, and just so that I, I prove that I am a good Christian, um, I'll use a biblical metaphor as well. You know, it's like, like, like dipping your toe into the Jordan River when crossing it and, and, uh, and, and trusting that when you do that, the river is going to stop, uh, that you are going to, you're going to get across um, unscathed or, or, you know, dry and, uh, and, uh, everybody that you're helping is going to, um, survive this. Uh, and so, uh, so that's, that's one of the, the, uh, the metaphors. That's one of the, um, 
biblical example that I can bring is, um, yes, um, I am walking through the Jordan uh, and my feet are not wet, um, but boy, was I afraid? Yes, I was. Uh, and, um, you know, I would have used different expressions where that's not a, a Christian podcast, but you're welcome. Um, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, yeah, and in the end, I am. I am sometimes, you know, when I'm on uh, across the Jordan and I'm and I'm looking back and and just see the blessings of God. That's what I saw uh, um, in 2015 with the Syrian refugee crisis, and that's what I'm seeing right now. And so this was one of the things that drew me in. Um, uh, like, I, I do want the same blessings um, uh, that, uh, that I, uh, I received many, many years ago, because it took me, um, uh, uh, it took some time for, 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 uh, for me to recover from, from some of the you know, physical aspects of that. But, but I am still carrying some of the treasures that I, 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 I received from God back then. When refugees first arrived in Europe, there was a sense of calm among the people. Europeans saw this as an opportunity to help. They did so in tremendous ways. However, the Hungarian government responded by communicating to the public that the refugees should be feared rather than supported. Saying things like, these were Muslim people and they might be terrorists. And sadly, it worked. A nation that was invested in helping quickly turned to silence and animosity towards refugees. Certainly not everyone, but far too many. This perspective was a result of a terrorist attack in Western Europe where a refugee's passport was found. It was assumed that these refugees might be hiding terrorists among them and that they should be feared. The fact that now, and I'm checking, I'm looking down because the number keeps changing, 31 states, these 31 governors are saying no, based upon you know the fact that one of those attackers came through on one of those rafts, no, do not come here. What would you say to those states based upon what you saw? Yes, is the threat real that ISIS is sending terrorists in among the masses of refugees? Absolutely, but we cannot punish these masses of veritable refugees and migrants because of a few. And we see it, we're a country of refugees, of immigrants, and this is not the time to shut our doors. It was later discovered that that terrorist cell group had taken this passport to create that fear. No refugees were involved in any attacks. Regardless, churches and Christians had a choice. Let fear grip them into turning the other way or step out in faith to share the love of God with their Syrian neighbors. Statements such as Laosh's ring true in moments like these. If you see them with the eyes of Christ, you see the truth. This is a truth we learned firsthand when our Ukrainian friends crossed the Tijuana border. But the roots behind this truth were learned in the midst of the Syrian refugee crisis, a tragedy that had less help from the local government because of the fear of terrorism due to racial profiling. The racist perspective of Syrians at that time was in no way fair. Yet our hope is to learn from these mistakes and share the same kind of love we shared with our Ukrainian friends with the next people group in need of help. Here is Phil and his friend on how they applied this lesson to help displace Syrians back in 2014. You're bringing up a really good point because I was, I was thinking of, you know, there's fear, a lot of fear we all experienced, not necessarily just of people, but of like, what are we doing? This is, it was so overwhelming. I think in context, I mean, we were talking about once it moved from Budapest down to the border with Serbia in a little town called Ruske, 
we're talking about 10,000 people every day, if I'm not mistaken, minimum. Yes. And, and, and no facilities there. It was just basically a, uh, the closest, the shortest way from, uh, from a, a, a Serbian train station, the last Serbian train station uh, closer to closest to Hungary. So, so basically people just started walking across and they ended up in a cornfield. And, a um, and didn't, didn't yeah. Laos, didn't you get the, uh, the Pentecostals to bring us that tent? Wasn't that, you know, Pentecostals <laughs> always have good tents and you got a good tent for us. <laughs> yeah. That was like a good movie. I <laughs> That is really an adventure. And I learned so much oh. about God, about the, people about um, hard points of the human life just uh, I, I remember that how many outsiders watched us you remember the police and for example uh, do you remember every morning we wanted to bless the policemen too and we bought the energy drinks popular in Hungary oh, yeah. and we bring them uh, called energy drinks um, instead of coffee because they were also struggling with the situation and we felt that here are no enemies mm -hmm. here are no bad side and good side guys it was just a situation and it was just a hard challenge and and the question was what can we do what should jesus do of course what, what would jesus do um so and we just try to help sometimes very amateur by an, and very amateur way we, we just try to 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 be um uh, helpful and you know what i learned these situations help us to place out the focus from ourselves oh, yeah. to outside. Yeah. And sometimes it's so good for us. We always are thinking about our life, our challenges, uh, how hard is our life. Now I see how rich we are, how safe is our life, how blessed we are that we don't have to run away to let the old people home, the home and the, everything, the, the whole life. So it gave me a lot of energy. It's funny. One of the things that I, I remember so vivid about our experience in Ruska, especially, was always being tired. <laughs> Mm -hmm. You guys remember that? Like, I know it sounds yeah. not spiritual, but just always yeah. tired. And then you'd see people coming and they're Everybody was exhausted. It was like mm -hmm. a, a never ending nightmare in a sense. And I, mm -hmm. I don't mean to be dramatic, but, and, and so every, every decision made was made in exhaustion. Every conversation yeah. was had in exhaustion, right? You, you guys know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah, it, it felt surreal um, from from like the the striped circumstance that the Pentecostals brought. Uh, it, it like like even from afar, it looks like looked like a Wes Anderson movie. You know, like we're in a field of an we're in the middle of an empty cornfield with with this blue white striped circumstance. 
and uh, and and people come in and, and you know I and you soon yes it's a big task but you soon realize that it just comes down to bare bones like these people are not looking for for plush environment I mean what they're everybody's looking for to get some rest to eat to drink to go to the bathroom and to get somewhere so it, it's that simple and then in this you know in the simplicity uh, and the things that we try to provide there you you occasionally have these these wonderful god-given conversations and meetings and i remember this one older gentleman carrying this heavy suitcase and he is for at that point he has been carrying it for 6000 kilometers and it turns out he was the librarian at the university of homs in syria and he packed some of the most treasured books in that library to bring with him and and then he arrives in the middle of this hungarian field with a blue white uh, circus tent and he he opens this this suitcase and you see you see these books that are now it just doesn't make sense um, because it's not a bare necessity and yet he feels like this is this is important mm-hmm. and 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 to to then come alongside and help and and uh, and offer what we can offer some of the basic things and 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 really it's it's that simple food and water toilets i mean you remember how much we struggled with with bringing porta potties in the middle of nowhere and getting them regularly clean it was like like you just realize how 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 comfortable we are um with just you know you just push a button and it flushes and but how much engineering goes into that and so so um i think for me a uh, lot of lot of logistical challenges but again going into this crisis i knew that nothing is impossible um to work out um even though sometimes the big governmental systems are not ready to respond you can still do something you don't need, like just like i said you don't need to wait for for presidents or or elected officials to decide on on what can be done um you do what you are called to do which is to love people and that that's a it's such an interesting point that you've both made and i know it's something that's really important to us to express this to people it's funny because the three of us have never sat down and and complained or whined. I was going to say just bitched about. That's there you go. Okay, I'll do it for you. We've never sat around and complained about, um, oh, the government didn't do anything or why did they invite these people or what about that? that? We've never, we've never talked mm-hmm. about it. We've heard these conversations around us, but we've mm-hmm. never talked about it. And I think that's an important point that I want people to know is like when you jump into to go beyond yourself to allow yourself to be exhausted and pre- and stretched and pushed, those kind of big picture issues are no longer the issue that you're focused on. It's about how do I help this person right now get better shoes than the one they have that they're wearing? Mm-hmm. How do I find them a place to sleep? It's like the needs become so focused and all mm-hmm. of the other stuff becomes so inconsequential, just irrelevant to 
and I'm and it made me also really appreciate our governments. And I mean that in a very humble way to say, the more you get into these problems, the more you realize I have no idea what we're supposed to do. I'm thankful that I'm not a representative or a political person. My only mandate as a Christian is to love my neighbor, the person that's right mm -hmm. there in front of me. And I know we've talked about these things. You guys have any thoughts about that? Yeah, I, I always um, see that pattern um, in the Syria, during the Syrian problem. And now that how there is always, there are always two ways to talk um, a kind of dividing way and just talk less and, and to do something and and it's very important for us and, and and i love what you say that we have we respected the policeman mm -hmm. and we respect the border guard mm -hmm. and their job they uh the countries need them mm -hmm. the 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 problem is if the church forget what is his job description, what is uh, his calling. Um, and we start to conform us to, to other um, powers. And I, it came up in my mind that do not conform any longer to the pattern of this word. So we have a, an own pattern and we have an own way and so can we remain maybe, uh, how to say, credible, mm -hmm. true, if we remain on our way. Respect, mm -hmm. uh, we have to do with the governments. We have to pray for them. <laughs> That's our challenge. Uh, and we have to respect them. But we have to use our third credible way with Jesus and our calling without any, as we say in the Hungarian slang, without whisking the cream or so not to make fires, yeah. just happy are the peacemakers. And I and see that. I see. I, I saw that then. Oh, sorry, Laos. I didn't mean to cut you off. I saw that no. then and I see it in what we're dealing with here is that people that are not involved love to fight with the other people that are yeah. and we found here like you know i'm still a four years living in america but the open doors that we just experienced with our governments and the unity that we experienced the i mean when you know and i learned a lot from the both of you in how we handled ourselves now i'm not interested in a fight i'm interested in solution not I'm not interested in like, you know, well, you need to do this and you need to do this. It's like, no, no, no. I respect what you're trying to do as a government. And this is what we can do. And you know what I discovered? They respected what we were doing. It was a very mutual experience where some of mm -hmm. my very close friends right now are these people in government. We've had, you know, it's a crazy thing, but we've had Congress people, senators from America, different congressional groups across, um, you know, in our country here in America, they've wanted to sit down and talk to me about our experience. 
not as like a, you know, let's just tell us what you did, but how could we do better? And I'm thinking, I can't believe that my government is asking me how they could do better. But I know why now, because we worked with them, not against them. We worked mm -hmm. in connection with them. We can do what they could not do, but they're able to do far more than we'll ever be able to. Yeah, they don't bring the gospel. That's my job. That's my privilege. Um, but it was a really great learning experience that I think we've all discovered. And, you know, let's be clear for people that are listening or watching this, Hungary is not in agreement with things. They're politically very much against what's happening. They're kind of like on the outside in many ways. And yet you talk to the average person, should we help? Of course we should help. Of course we mm -hmm. should be. And, and the average, you know, guys like you who are extraordinary are leading the way in what it looks like to serve, you know, the people of Ukraine just as much as you did the people of uh, Syria and Afghanistan. Everything that Phil and his friends are mentioning ring true to the points we made in our previous episode. The claim was made that the church itself is the greatest aid agency in the world. As a church, we can be available and ready anywhere in the world to help anyone in need. Throughout this entire season, you will hear firsthand conversation about how we as a church experience this on such a beautiful level. Sharing the love of God with people was not always through what we said, but mostly by what we did. Yes, we had opportunities to share the gospel verbally with people, but the opportunity to share the love of God through our actions was often at the forefront of our ministry. It was through this crisis that we learned what Paul meant by saying the church is a living epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men, written not with ink, but by the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is of the heart. 2 Corinthians 3, 2 through 3. The tragedy of this truth is that it will be lost the moment that the church sees an issue rather than a person. When our political views or perspectives of people get in the way of helping those in need, we no longer become the greatest aid agency in the world. Instead, we are a roadblock to people's perspective of God's love. You know, I had a lot of people this time and a lot of people back then, and I know you guys did too, like, you know, kind of standing on the side like, well, why should we? Why should mm -hmm. we get involved? You know, um, this isn't our problem. Or, you know, there's a whole bunch of different iterations of that statement. But basically, I'm not going to do anything. People in our own movement who really never got involved, um, mm -hmm. people who we love and we don't, we don't, we don't not love them. Mm -hmm. We experience, so there's two parts to this question. One, what do you say to that person that like, we don't need to get involved. And the kind of the question is, well, why did you get involved? One, that's my first question. And then my second one is this, we both experienced that time and in 20, you know, 2015 and in 2022, a lot of groups that are not Christian wanting to help out. How can Christians work with people like that like how does that work without you compromising who you are um yeah so uh you know um i'm gonna quote a, a science fiction classic um and of course uh because it's one of the best science fiction movies out there star trek um, um so the prime directive uh is is love uh it and uh uh, to love the, your neighbor, uh, uh, that's what uh, that's what Jesus told us, and uh, and I think it's not uncommon for people who do not know Jesus to understand that this is one of the 
the the primary things that uh, that we are supposed to do as human beings. And so, so to answer your question, the first one, uh, I basically would say not everyone is is called to respond uh, to uh, to this crisis in the same way. Um, there are short-term solutions. There are long-term solutions needed. Um, there are uh, issues that need to be resolved uh, really quickly, and uh, and those were the issues we were involved with. But I'm actually I'm not involved in the long-term things. I'm not starting schools for Syrians or Ukrainians. I'm not offering um, uh, other uh, other help that is that is long term that's for for some other people so i mean the, the answer to why i was involved is because i saw this need and i i figured i can meet that need mm. there are other needs that other people can meet and we don't need to all be involved if we, if we all went to ruska it would be a very crowded place right. um we would have need 10 more tents uh Just for um <laughs> just for us yeah me and my friends um and uh and uh, like you said, um, we met people there that had the same understanding, and they were not they were not uh, influenced by uh, uh, by the spirit of God the same way we were. Um, yet they also understood that it's part of our uh, human uh, human uh, experience that we need to love each other. Mm -hmm. And so, like you said, yeah, starting from the anarchists all the way to the Muslims, um, we I, I experienced a unity that uh, that I um, uh, that I didn't um, uh, previously. RP, you brought up like a good point of like, you know, I think that like sometimes we think as Christians, like we own the market on love but we don't like mm -hmm. the world has love like there's every religious group has love people have love i think what we have the market on is that god became one of us and died for us he made a way of salvation but the idea of like loving people is not our we don't own that alone right i mean i i completely agree and if <clears throat> if i dare to say it uh you know i found that sometimes people motivated by the love of God are, are harder to mobilize than people who are not motivated by the love of God. And uh, that's my takeaway from this situation. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's a, there's almost like, well, unless I can, you know, bring 50 people to Christ, then I'm not going to get involved or unless I can give a Bible to every person. I'm not, and I think what we all experienced was, but if you don't get involved, you'll never get to do those other things. Anything that was in our heart to do of an eternal value started by being present in that moment. And without it, nothing was going to happen. One of my, one of my favorite stories in working with other groups down there, especially the anarchists, um, which was a true story. We worked with anarchists quite a bit. There was a, a moment when we needed to get water to the train station and it was a very hot day. And another Christian group had a ton of water available but they were unwilling to, unless they did it, they didn't want it to be done. And I was like, okay, well, get the water there. Get your vans and get over there. Oh, we don't have a van available right now. So they weren't gonna let us just take some water. And then somebody in the area said, oh, the anarchist dudes have some water in their van. So that's the van, go 
you know. So I go and knock on a van and this dude, German dude, opens the door and the most weed marijuana I've ever smelled in my one moment in my life just all came <laughs> pouring out, you know. And this guy's hotboxing in there. He's just, he's just getting it all. But he's, full, it's full of water. And I'm like, hey, bro, can, can you drive your van to, you know, to deliver this water? And uh, and he's like, uh, I probably shouldn't drive, but if you'll drive, <laughs> you know. And I was like, yeah, you probably should drive. So I jump in and I'm driving, and he's like. I don't know how you Christians can follow Jesus. You know, he just starts kind of like talking about Jesus. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Jesus was an anarchist, man. He was overthrowing Rome and overthrowing the world system. And he thought that was the funniest thing he had ever heard. He just never heard anybody talk about Jesus that way. But I, and I thought about it and I thought in this one moment, I'm getting a chance to talk to a, an anarchist about Jesus. I'm also letting an anarchist is the reason that we have water to go help people because he didn't care about himself. He didn't care about his name or his organization. He just, he was literally there just to help people. And it really, it really struck me as like, am I okay if the name of my church, or even if I never get to talk about Jesus, can I just live it out? Am I okay with mm -hmm. that? Laosh, what are your thoughts to these, uh, these questions and these, these ideas? I have a good old trick against those people who, who has these negative motivations. I love them too, because they are also my neighbors. So, and they also deserve the grace. And I try to see them that most of them, in most of cases, they are not evil or not so bad they just have the fear the instability and so i i try to hug them and pray together with them and sometimes they yeah and the, for me that's very important not push them and say them that they should do the same what i do because it's not true I just tried to go down with them to the lowest common point. Do you believe that we have to pray for this, for the government? Yeah, go home and pray or let's pray together. That's your job. That's your ministry from now. Okay. And pray for us. That's your ministry. So, uh, because, you know, and it's very important that, especially now at this Ukrainian ministry i see that the devil is everywhere and mm. um, between us and try to make the misunderstandings the conflicts sometimes we christian always look for the differences yeah. and i want to learn it from paul to to look for the common points, to connect mm -hmm. to the people. To the, and this ministry is a wonderful chance. Nowadays, also the good people are similar to Thomas. They want to see our wounds, to see what we do, mm -hmm. not what we speak from the pulpit, frankly, uh, at first. So it's a good chance to share the gospel and to do the good. So it's a wonderful privilege. I think I think you're so right, Laosh. I think that especially in the days that we're living in, 
we can't just talk about something. It needs to be lived out. And, and sometimes it's lived out just in simple ways, you know, giving time to people, you know, it, I mean, there's different ways to live that out, but I definitely, I definitely feel like even for me, and I, I'm sure RP, you would say the same at your church that this has opened up more opportunities of like credibility in people's lives. You know, when, when the war broke out and Joy and I and Hannah flew to Hungary, that made people here go, oh, dang, they actually believe this. They, like, they're, mm-hmm. they don't just talk about these things. And then when it came to San Diego, the same thing. It's like, oh, they really believe these things. And, and I know for you, RP, your church has been a, a focal point of Ukrainian refugees um, every Sunday. Are you guys still doing that? Or is it kind of ebbs and flows depending on what's happening? Yeah, we uh, we're still continuing to do that. We we are translating our services into Ukrainian because there is uh, there are about 60, 70, 80 people in our immediate neighborhood uh, vicinity um, that are able to come to church and uh, and are uh, regularly coming to church. Uh, yeah, and and like you said, uh, uh, you. Um, you speak of these things, and, and in principle, um, many of us decide that, uh, you know, when it comes to it, we'll love our neighbor, uh, but uh, sometimes we fail to find the, the way to, to do that, um, and uh, I'm blessed to be part of a church that decided to be that. We, we had a, you know, it's very uh, unlike Calvary Chapel, but uh, but we had a congregational meeting, and uh, uh, and uh, and I asked, you know, what what are we going to do? What are what should we do? And everyone said, well, we'll do whatever it takes until they are with us. Um, and uh, and every Sunday is uh, is a little chaos. Um, some Sundays are big chaoses. Um, but no Sunday is like the previous one. Um, and we always come out um, just hoping that we did more good than harm, uh, basically. <laughs> and, uh, and everybody's thankful. It, it really kicked started our church. Uh, uh, the, way, the way we worded it is, you know, basically God is asking us a question whether we, we want to become a serving church, and and it was a resounding yes, um, and it's stretching, and it's sometimes uh, uh, sometimes uncomfortable, especially when people who have no knowledge of Ukrainian are trying to sing in Ukrainian as worship leaders. Uh, but hey, uh, people appreciate do. it. <laughs> you do what you got to do. Yeah, I I mean for me, you guys, and you know something, we've been floating this idea of like a statement that, you know, to define us as a church, like what, how do we want to be defined? And we're kind of using this phrase of local church, global heart. Like we Mm -hmm. want to be very local and present, but with a heart that is global. And you both have really exemplified that for me and for Joy, you and Shadi, Arpi and Andi, you guys are, we just love you guys. We're so grateful that, I mean, who would have thought we would be doing this a second time? In our lifetimes, who would have ever thought this to be possible? Earlier this year, I had a period of time where, where I felt that uh, I had less things to do. And, uh, and, and I distinctly remember hearing God's voice saying, don't worry, 
just rest. And I feel like like God gave me January and February to prepare for this. Um, and looking back at it, it makes complete sense. Mm. Uh, but you're right. Yeah, we, we learned a coping mechanism back in 2015 that we are now applying. And I think we bounced back much quicker. Ongoing war in Syria have triggered an epic humanitarian crisis, the biggest wave of refugees in modern history. We don't sleep. We don't sleep. Look into my eyes. It's red. We don't eat. Just walking. Just walking. This is absolutely crammed. It's meant to hold 15 people. There must be 40 on this one. Wave upon wave of refugees washing up on these shores. I'm very happy, I'm very happy. Among the complications, the pandemic and almost no vaccines. For the refugees, here's what I heard today. It's just another reason to die. Another reason to die. Another reason to die. My husband was taken from me. My children was in very big danger. And because it's very easy for someone to come and kill me with my kids, I hide most of the time with other family in a basement. They come to kill us. Oh. Women's, they... My sister, my sister, my sister was my killed. My daughter, my daughter. We want to leave. You want to live? Yeah. The Syrian civil war has displaced more than four million people, most of them stuck in the border camps. No one knows how many will continue to try to get to Europe or elsewhere. And there's no agreement on quotas on where they will be allowed to go. You don't want on your shoulders uh, the desperation of the people on the other side of the border. You have been listening to Crossing Cultures. The song you heard earlier in this episode was Heavy Ghost by Josh White. You can also find his music on any music platform. As we are creating these episodes, the war in Ukraine is still going on. As a church, we are currently involved in financing and aiding our missionary friends and families in Ukraine and Europe. The aid is used to help people get out of Ukraine safely and get needed supplies in. If you would like to help donate to this cause, please go to calvarysd.com forward slash Ukraine Relief. You can find the link in the description of this episode. And stay tuned for our next episode of Crossing Cultures titled Six Air Mattresses. In this episode, we will discuss the beginning of our involvement with the war on Ukraine on the San Diego front. My name is Kia Lopez, and you have been listening to Crossing Cultures.